0: Last time on The Accidental Lawyer, Joe's attorney had submitted a signed stipulation to the board, which would increase Joe's average weekly wage and, as a result, his weekly benefits dating back to the date of his injury. Joe has also attended his first independent medical evaluation. On today's episode of The Accidental Lawyer, Joe receives the report from the IME doctor and finds out how the results of an IME can impact an injured worker's benefits. Stick with us to find out about Joe's IME report. Welcome to The Accidental Lawyer. While waiting for the IME report, Joe received the notice from the board awarding his new average weekly wage and new benefit rate, as well as adjusting awards back to the date of injury based on this new figure. His attorney told him that payment would come in about 10 days. Why don't we take a minute and talk about when payments are due following a notice of decision where back money is awarded? We always get a lot of questions on this. When a notice of decision is issued by the Workers' Compensation Board, it has a date on it, the date of decision. That is in the lower right-hand corner of the decision. That is the date that starts the clock ticking. The carrier has 30 days from that date to file an appeal if they do not agree with the findings in the notice of decision. If the carrier agrees with the findings, like here with Joe, where both sides agreed and submitted a stipulation form, the carrier has 10 days from the date on the notice of decision to pay the award. That means they have 10 days from the date on the decision to stick the claimant's check in the mail it does not mean the claimant will receive payment within 10 days. The check must be dated by the 10th day and the envelope must be postmarked by the 10th day. The 10th day count starts the day after the notice of decision was duly filed. So, for instance, if the date on the notice of decision says it was filed on April 1st, the check must be dated and the envelope must be postmarked by April 11th. If the check is dated April 12th, there could be a late payment penalty on the monies. This applies to the money moving to Joe as a lump sum, which is owed to him from back pay. This does not apply to his weekly ongoing benefits. We will address the time parameters for those payments down the line. We're only talking about when there's a back-to-award, scheduled loss of use award, or settlement monies moving, that this particular timeframe applies. Since Joe has a notice of decision in hand, he now has an idea of when he will receive his money and he can mark it on his calendar. He will mark the date the check must be issued and mailed by. This way, when it comes, he can check that date and if it's late, he'll call his attorney who will pursue late payment penalties. If someone contacts our office, we ask that they send us a copy of the envelope that the check came in, as well as a copy of the check before it's cashed. Both of those things will tell us if there is a late payment and whether we can pursue a 20% penalty. The claimant can go ahead and cash the check. We just want a copy of it first. While waiting for his check to arrive, Joe received a copy of the IME report. He read it over very carefully. Among other things, the doctor got his age wrong. Despite Joe filling out his age and date of birth on the questionnaire and also answering that specific question when the doctor asked him, Joe kept reading. The IME doctor had listed all the records he had reviewed, the ones he had been reviewing when he should have been examining Joe, and then went through his exam findings. Joe noticed that one of his MRIs had not been reviewed. It was one of the imaging studies he had brought with him for the doctor as requested on the notice of exam. No one at the IME office would take it from Joe, despite Joe trying to hand it to both the assistant at the front desk and the doctor himself. Joe thought the MRI studies were probably pertinent and became a little disgruntled while reading the report. Joe eventually got to the conclusion's paragraph. The IMA doctor had quickly told Joe the surgery would be authorized while he was exiting the exam room, and indeed, the report indicated the surgery was indicated and should be authorized. Joe breathed a sigh of relief. He could now have that surgery. Joe kept reading the report's findings. The doctor, despite finding that Joe needed a pretty major surgery, had also found that Joe was only partially disabled. The report said Joe had a 50% degree of disability and could lift 20 pounds. The 50% degree the IME had found was less than the 75% rate Joe was currently receiving. Joe knew that was probably not good. The IME doctor had also commented on the right shoulder, finding that it was not related to Joe's claim. Fortunately, the doctor found the additional sites that had been in dispute related so that Joe could start getting treatment for those sites now. So the report had helped Joe in some ways and hurt him in other ways. He wasn't sure what would happen with his right shoulder. Was it over? Was he stuck with the pain? He wasn't sure. He technically hadn't injured the shoulder at the time of the injury, had been injured during physical therapy, so he wasn't clear on whether that would go through regular insurance or through workers' compensation. And what would happen with his weekly benefits now that the IME doctor had given him such a low degree of disability? Joe could not believe that one. He needed a walker, for goodness sake. He could lift 20 pounds? How? Joe went back to read the exam in more detail. Joe knew the doctor had never even touched or examined his right shoulder. Sure enough, there was no right shoulder exam under the physical examination portion of the exam. So Joe had no idea how the doctor could make any findings on his right shoulder. Joe also noticed that the exam notes said he easily maneuvered onto and off of the exam table. No one from that office had even seen Joe get on or off the table. He was alone in the exam room when he struggled to get on and off the darn table. Joe was steamed. This report, despite properly authorizing the surgery, was full of nonsense. Joe felt like he was just a number to the carrier and the IME doctor and the board. Joe called his attorney. His attorney would contact the carrier and get the surgical authorization over to the doctor so Joe could schedule the surgery ASAP. As to the other stuff in the IME, the attorney said the consequential right shoulder would have to be litigated and Joe would have to wait and see whether the carrier raised the issue of degree of disability at the next hearing. Joe did not have to wait long. Within a couple of days of receipt of the IME, Joe received a form from the carrier asking for a reduction in benefits and noting that they were raising the issue so it could be properly addressed at the next hearing. The hearing was fast approaching, and Joe was apprehensive about this one, unsure of whether the benefits that had just started to pay him properly for his lost time would again be reduced because of a brief, non-thorough exam by an IME doctor. Joe's attorney told Joe that the issue of degree would be moot. In other words, it would no longer be an issue as of the date of Joe's surgery. The attorney told Joe that the carrier had now authorized the surgery and Joe should schedule the surgery as soon as possible. Let's briefly discuss how a degree of disability changes with a surgery and how and when Joe's benefits could change following his surgery. As long as a surgery is related to a work injury and authorized by the carrier, an injured worker's benefits should bump up to the maximum rate, the total rate, as of the date of surgery. That said, it's not immediate. In other words, a new check is not issued by the carrier when the injured worker is wheeled to the recovery room. Rather, once the surgeon dictates the surgical report, And the report is then typed, and then the report is sent to the carrier and then delivered to the proper claims examiner's desk. The claims examiner should issue payment at the total rate back to the date of surgery and ongoing until a medical report shows otherwise. Generally, payments are adjusted within three weeks of a surgery date, and of course, pay the injured worker temporary total back to the date of surgery. So let's say you had surgery on January 2nd. The doctor may dictate the surgical report on January 3rd and send it out to be typed. It may be typed on January 4th or January 5th and then go on to the carrier. The claims examiner then gets that report and sends a request to their payment center to issue payment to the injured worker at total from the date of surgery. The payment center may then handle that request on January 6th or January 7th and then get a check in the mail on January 8th. Mailing may take another five days. So the difference in pay is not immediate, but it generally happens within two to three weeks. If it doesn't, you should contact your attorney so the attorney can follow up with either the doctor if your report is holding things up or the carrier if they're slow on their end. Joe talked with Marie that night when she returned home from work after picking up the kids. Marie was exhausted. She was working all day, running the kids to and from her parents' house. Where they would go before and after school, and then she would come home to laundry, grocery shopping, vacuuming, dishes, and making meals for the entire family. Joe had so much guilt that he could not help Marie with these tasks. He could tell she was becoming a bit resentful that she had to do everything to keep the house going. Marie knew Joe could not perform these tasks with his disability, but it was still starting to wear on Marie. Marie was even stuck mowing the lawn and taking the garbage out, jobs Joe used to do, but could not do anymore. It was starting to place a strain on their marriage. Joe was unsure how he could contribute with his physical restrictions. The sooner he had the surgery, the sooner they could get back to life as normal. So Marie and Joe agreed that he should have the surgery as soon as possible, even if it meant more on Marie's plate, as she would have to take care of Joe for weeks after the surgery. Joe called his doctor and scheduled the surgery for the earliest date he could get, eight weeks away. Eight weeks more to be in pain and out of work. Eight weeks more to wait until he could finally be on the road to recovery. But at least he could have the surgery. At least the surgery was now scheduled and he could look forward to recovering and returning to work somewhere. In the meantime, Joe had a hearing coming up next week. He had just received his back-due money and it was already gone, paying long-past-due bills and new health insurance bills. At the hearing, they would address his right shoulder, which was still hurting, as well as the additional sites. At least he could start to get treatment for the additional sites, with the exception of his right shoulder. His attorney told him he could not get treatment to the additional sites, though, until after the hearing as the sites would be established at that time. Next time on The Accidental Lawyer, Joe attends his second hearing and finds out whether his right shoulder claim is over or just beginning. Tune in next time. This week, John asks a very pertinent email question. Dear Kate, I'm out of work on comp and want to go golfing this spring as I'm going crazy stuck in the house with COVID-19 stay-at-home order. Golf course is open this week and the weather is getting nice. Can I go golfing? Signed, John. The short answer, John, is no. If you are out of work due to your comp injury and you are collecting benefits, it is never advisable to golf or ski or dance or play volleyball or, well, you get my drift. Without knowing what your medical reports say, I can still tell you that you will be better off not golfing than going for it and hitting the links. As you are out of work and the comp carrier is paying you for your lost time from work, your doctors are presumably saying you're disabled in some manner, to some degree, and unable to go back to work. The mantra in our house has always been, if you're thinking about doing something and you're not sure if you should, consider how it would look if it was a headline in the local paper. So John, here's your headline. John collects workers' compensation benefits while golfing. And next to the headline is a picture of John stretched all the way back, golf club raised, ready to take a swing at the ball. Imagine how that would look to the insurance carrier that is paying your benefits, a judge, your employer, the doctor that says you are disabled and can't work. Fraud is a real issue we fight every single day in this system. Don't make the carrier's job easy, John. Stay home and sit in the sun and stuff. Until next time, stay safe. This podcast in no way is meant to be legal advice to you and your specific injury or situation. The purpose of this podcast is simply to give a hypothetical and give a general overview of the workers' compensation system in a simplified way as it stands currently in New York State. I recommend that you contact your attorney to discuss the specific facts of your claim.